Today on the show, we are going to examine Bart Ehrman and intellectual scapegoats. Then we're going to ask the question, do we actually have uh, the words of Jesus in the New Testament? Then we'll look at a new argument for the resurrection of Jesus. And finally, if we have time, we are going to examine Alyssa Milano's God Supports Abortion tweet. I can't believe I said that with a straight face. I did pretty good. My name's Hayden. This is Help Me Believe. All right, so kicking things off uh, for this episode, we have Bart Ehrman and the Intellectual Scapegoats. But first, I want to give a patron shout-out to Ben Knight. That's actually my brother-in-law. Thanks for your support, Ben. Appreciate that. You're the patron of the week, man. Thanks so much. If you're listening, I know what you're thinking. You've always wanted me to give you a shout-out on the show. It's what you've always dreamed of. Well, fear not. Your dreams can become a reality. Just follow that link in the description over to our Patreon page and become a supporter of Help Me Believe and our ministry here to strengthen believers and answer critics for as little as a dollar a month. There's a lot of bonus material over on our Patreon page that you'll get access to uh, by becoming a supporter. So head on over there and do that now. Bart Ehrman. He is a professor. He is an academic at uh, UNC Chapel Hill in North Carolina, and uh, he's a, he's a skeptic. Actually, he's he's an atheist or an agnostic. I think he kind of leans towards agnosticism. Is probably what he would uh, an agnostic is probably what he would call himself. But he's uh, he's a well known author and writer. Um, he seems like a, a nice guy, a nice enough guy. He seems um, pretty genuine. He used to be a, a Christian, and then he went to seminary. Where he encountered some uh, some doubts, uh, I myself can relate to that. I went to seminary and uh, had doubts. I did not walk away from my faith ultimately, like uh, Bart Ehrman did. But uh, last week I had Austin Gentry on. He's the author of Ten Things Every Christian Should Know for College, and he's actually a graduate of UNC Chapel Hill. And in that interview that we did, and, and I'll leave a link to uh, that interview in the description, or you can just go back. Like literally, I think it was the last episode we did. Uh, we discussed um, Bart Ehrman for a little bit, and so Bart's uh, big thing is that he's a, a <clears throat> New Testament uh, uh, textual criticist. So he'll he looks at the the manuscripts that we have for the New Testament. The New Testament in your hands, if you have a New Testament, is is uh, the translation that you have is based on very early uh, manuscripts, Greek manuscripts. If it's um, based on the those there's other manuscripts, later manuscripts that it might be based on. You have to look into these things when you pick a translation. But we have very early and quite a bit uh, manuscripts for the New Testament. And Bart looks at these through a critical lens, uh, perhaps too critical. Um, it's perfectly fine to look at the, these things critically. In fact, we should look at these things critically. I think that he actually doesn't look at them critically enough. He stops a little bit too short. You see, he looks at the New Testament manuscripts and says, look at all the disparities that we have. This author uses a different word or a different number. Things are a little out of order here, that sort of thing. But this should be expected because we have so many manuscripts. It, the New Testament criticists or manuscript textual criticists aren't necessarily primarily concerned with the variations. Those they they expect there to be differences. Things won't be translated word for word down through the generations. In fact, if they were, we might suspect uh, some uh, some foolery was going on that they were they were they were fudging things, you know. But things uh, tend to be uh, different. There's some variations that's expected. But the more manuscripts you have, the more variations you're going to have. Okay, so if we have a lot of variations, but also a lot of manuscripts, 
Well, of course we do. But also, the more manuscripts we have, the more accurately we can reconstruct the past and come to a, a and reach a, a more definite conclusion as to what the original words were. So as the manuscripts increase, the the number of manuscripts increase, the number of variations also increase, but we can also have a better reconstruction of the past. So it's it's almost he, see he's not he's stopping one step short. He's not going far enough. Uh, nonetheless, this is usually the route that he goes. He he takes the textual criticist route of saying, see, you can't trust the New Testament because of these variations. Of course, that's not true. But and therefore, you can't trust uh, that these are the words of Christ or that Jesus, you know, whatever. I don't know. But therefore, you shouldn't be Christian in any and. Um, but the problem and the reason for the intellectual scapegoats part of this is because that's how he will, he will want to talk you out of Christianity, if that's his goal at all. Perhaps he's not trying to talk you out of your faith. He's just raising some points. That's fine. But if someone's trying to, if he was trying to talk you out of your faith for that reason, that isn't why he ultimately left the faith. And you can uh, look this up yourself. I'll leave a link to the YouTube video I found where he explicitly states that he eventually he in, uh, walked away from the Christian faith not because of into any intellectual reasons or intellectual doubts but it was really because of emotional doubts or moral doubts it, it was ultimately the problem of evil that led Bart Ehrman to walk away from his faith he saw evil in the world and he could not seem to reconcile that with an all-loving God and of course, the problem of evil is something that we address all the time on here, and I'm sure you can find an article or something on my website for that. But the point here being, though he trots out these intellectual reasons as to why you shouldn't believe, that's not why he didn't uh, believe in the first place. His was emotional or moral, and this is worth pointing out. Now, in the interview I did with Austin, I asked him, you know, so whenever we see a skeptic doing this, should we call them on that? And I'm not really convinced because it... <laughs> I mean, it would be fair to, but I'm not quite sure how effective that would be in conversation. Like, hey, I know you're raising these intellectual points like you think you're smart, but it seems like you're ultimately doing this for some emotional or moral reason. It kind of seems pretentious to say something like that. So probably there's a, a middle ground, a better way of wording it. Don't just word it like I did. But uh, anyway, this is worth thinking about. Um, and this was an article that I wrote, and I'll leave a link to it in the description.
The next article I want to turn to is this Outreach Magazine article titled, uh, Do We Have Jesus' Actual Words? And what it really is is a snippet of Peter J. Williams, is uh, a snippet from his book, his latest book, Can We Trust the Gospels? Which is kind of, he's kind of the exact opposite of Bart Ehrman. He also examines the manuscripts and stuff, but then he'll give arguments as to why we can trust the New Testament, or we can trust that the New Testament contains the actual words of Jesus. And he, met, and he raises a good point that I wanted to uh, bring up. He's um, he's basically making the argument that you can trust that these are Jesus's words because the likelihood of them <clears throat> being invented by a first-century Jew um, is is very unlikely. They would be very counterproductive. There's some sayings um, in here that are would be very counterproductive if you were trying to make up a religion um, for some other ulterior motive. So if you're not telling the truth, which would be the insinuation here, these aren't actually Jesus's words. The disciples just made them up. Okay, so they wouldn't, in this scenario, they wouldn't be telling the truth. The truth would be that they were making them up. So they're not telling the truth, then what would their motivation be? And it's very hard to explain a reasonable motivation for some of these statements in the New Testament, a lot of the statements in the New Testament, uh, particularly concerning the statements that are attributed to Jesus himself. It's hard to explain a reasonable motivation as to why someone would put these in there. If you were going to make up a story, you would puff it up and make it as believable as possible or or maybe as feel-good as possible or, or uh, you would make it easy for people to want to convert to your new religion that you're making up and things like that. But, and I'm quoting here, in Matthew's Gospel, uh, he calls his followers, that's Jesus, evil, chapter 7, verse 11. He refers to the Gentiles as dogs, fifteen twenty six. He tells his followers to do everything uh, their frequent opponents, the Pharisees, say, and dies asking why God has forsaken him. Okay, it's very unlikely that this, these things um, would have been made up, or I can't think of a reasonable motivation to make them up if you're a first century Jew. Okay, so there's, uh, he, he has a lot of arguments in the book. It's a really good book. I actually have it and I've read it. Again, that's Peter J. Williams. And there will be a, I'll leave a link to this article, and within that article, there's a link to his book. You should definitely get it uh, if you're uh, concerned of these things, or if these things are, are important to you, and they should be if you're a Christian. You should definitely get his book and give it a read. Uh, he, he's very knowledgeable, very intelligent, and uh, yeah, it's a good book. The, the next article that I want to look at is this new argument for the resurrection. But first, I want to make you aware of some resources that I'm offering. Um, on Amazon, we have a, a couple of free books that you can get. Uh, Does God Exist? Did Jesus Rise? So some apologetic resource, resources that you can get for free. And then a couple of other ones that are like at 99 cents or something. These are just some short little, I'm calling them, calling them e-booklets that you can get for free or cheap. And so I'll leave a link in the description for you to, to go and get those as well. Also, you know, you can subscribe to the blog and, and get stuff right in your email. Become um, a subscriber to our email list, which is on the website at helpmebelieveblog.com. Of course, I'll leave a link to that as well. we got a lot of good resources out there for you to get a daily dose of apologetics and kind of keep up with what's going on uh, in the world of apologetics as um, we, more and more arguments just like this one are coming out, new argument for the resurrection and things like that, so you can keep up to date so that you can strengthen your faith and be able to answer critics whenever they question you or to help you in your evangelistic outreach as you reach out to the world around you that will surely have uh, critical questions to ask about your Christian faith and of course, if you have children, or if you're involved in youth ministry or children's ministry, the next generation um, is definitely facing a situation that's not necessarily unique to other generations, but certainly the degree to which uh, 
skepticism and, and criticism is rising uh, towards Christianity, they will definitely have to know how to defend their faith. And uh, Help Me Believe is a resource dedicated to uh, that purpose. So, you know, get plugged in, get get all those resources that you can. Again, a lot of them are free. Now to this new argument for the existence, or not for the existence of God, but for the resurrection of Jesus. Now, you can find this at answeringmuslims.com. That is a David Wood uh, website, and this article on his website is um, not attributed to anyone, so I don't really know if he wrote it or not. Um, so, I mean, I want to say that he did, but I, I don't know that for a fact. Some, you know, he could have posted, or somebody else could have posted on his website. But anyway, there's no attribution where I'd give one. I'll definitely leave a link for you to go read the full article. I'm just going to give you a, a summary of the argument that that is uh, laid forth there at the end of the article. So, is this really a new argument f- uh, for the resurrection? The way it is stated, yes. Um, it's it's not actually presenting any new information, but it is a, a different way of thinking about it. So, sure, it's a new argument for the resurrection. Um, it, it's based on the idea that uh, the first premise is that the uh, the belief that Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday following the Passover um, it has uh, a lot of theological significant uh, significance um, because it's associated with the feast of the first fruits, and this would be. This is this would be a huge um, coincidence. The significance of Jesus rising on on, on on Sunday after Passover, and the way this aligns with the Feast of First Fruits in Jewish uh, religion, would be a huge coincidence. Okay, to to just um, you know for that belief just to arise like that uh, with with no cause, with no design, would be too much of a coincidence. So in other words, it's really an argument from design. This has to be designed. The question would then be, is it designed by man, as in the disciples were lying and they said that he rose on the Sunday after Passover because they put the puzzle together and said, oh, if we say it was on this Sunday after the Passover, then it would have a lot of theological significance and maybe we could get more adherence to our new religion that we're making up. Or did it actually happen that way and it was designed um, by God. So then, one of the other premises is that well, the gospel writers. So, so the first premise says, well, it it it's not. It, this isn't because of chance. It didn't just happen. The coincidence of that would be too great. And then, secondly, uh, this the next one would be that the gospel writers were not actually uh, lying, and they can be shown to be habitual truth tellers and accurate reporters of events whenever these things can be verified. And they were willing to go to their deaths for this. Claim, of course, you've heard this in other arguments for the resurrection that the the gospel writers were eventually martyred. Eleven of the twelve disciples were martyred for their faith. The twelfth being exiled to Patmos. That would be John, the disciple John. So they were all either martyred or persecuted for their specifically their belief in the resurrection, and they never uh, uh, wavered in that belief. They did not recant their belief they were willing to die so at the very least that means they actually believed it were they wrong in their belief i don't know how you would have to you would be able to show that you would have to postulate that they hallucinated the resurrection but of course hallucinations don't happen in group that's not how things happen you know you and i aren't going to share the same hallucination 
Um, even if they were somehow similar, they're definitely not going to be the same. It's not. It's not like it's like whenever you dream. It's not like whenever I'm dreaming. I'm like, hey, you want to come share this dream with me? Same thing with hallucinations. It just doesn't happen that way. So they definitely believed it, and were willing to die for it. So the idea that they made it up is does not seem very likely. And so therefore, this coincidence is a was by design and was not by human design but divine design therefore god raised jesus from the dead from the dead that's more or less how the argument goes of course the article gives much greater depth to those premises and you can go read it for yourself i'll leave a link in the description so we do have a little bit more time left so i am going to address this tweet that i'm you know you've probably seen Alyssa milano who is up in arms about the Georgia heartbeat law, which basically says no abortions after the child, the uh, the human fetus, a baby, has a heartbeat. Um, at least one other state I can think of has done this as well. I'm not sure how many have, but Georgia followed suit, and, and Alyssa Milano is leading the uh, protest against this, and she tweeted this out this week, and I'm going to do everything I can to be respectful. The tweet says this, I love God. I believe in God. I didn't know that, so that that's actually really cool that she believes in God and she loves God. Of course, don't get your hopes up too much because the very next statement says this, but I don't believe my personal beliefs, but I don't believe my personal beliefs, of which we can't confirm, should override scientific facts and what we can confirm. And then, and then there's a Bible verse attached at the end. And it reads, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? John 3, 12. I don't know where to begin. Let's start. Let's just take them in order. I love God and I believe in God. That's fantastic. I didn't know that about Alyssa Milano. She's very outspokenly pro-choice and protests, you know, the pro-life movement and things like that. So one would not assume that she has an affection for God or a belief in God. And so that is, that's fantastic. I'm glad to hear that. Perhaps then she's open to some, some biblical criticism. I don't know. Then there's a huge but, and I mean the biggest but in the world. I love God, I believe in God, but... And I'm sure you've heard, sometimes whenever you hear the word but, it means everything before that is not true. I don't think that's actually the case, but people say that. But I don't believe my personal beliefs. I don't believe my personal beliefs. For a third time, I don't believe my personal beliefs. That is a personal belief. You, you have a personal belief about your personal beliefs, of which you can't confirm, they should not override scientific facts. So your personal belief, that personal beliefs shouldn't override scientific facts, should be overridden by your own statement. In other words, this is self-defeating. Okay, C.S. Lewis once said, good philosophy is needed, if for no other reason, to combat bad philosophy. This is bad philosophy. B-A-D, bad philosophy. Okay, it's self defeating. This is why philosophy or reason or some sort of logic class should be mandatory at like ev- in like every grade level, K through 12, and every grade level through college. Like you have got to understand how to think and how to articulate those thoughts in speech. 
Otherwise, you end up saying absurd things like your personal, you personally believe that your personal belief should be overridden by scientific. Okay. Secondly, my personal beliefs of which we we can't confirm. That must be that must be referring to the statement up here. I believe in God. She's saying that statement, that belief in God, cannot be confirmed. So you you well you don't actually believe in God, do you? You're actually agnostic because a Christian believes their that their believes that their belief in God is warranted. It can be confirmed. It is the most reasonable conclusion based on the evidence of the universe, of creation, of God's Word, of the resurrection, all the things that I do here at Help Me Believe. Um, you, yeah, yeah. You, if you think that your belief in God cannot be confirmed, why do you believe it? Obviously you don't. Secondly, it should should override scientific facts. She doesn't think that her personal beliefs about God should override scientific facts. What scientific facts? Again, the context of this is abortion. What scientific facts about abortion should your personal beliefs about God not over um, uh, not override? Now we know that a, a fetus, a human fetus. Okay, we know that a fetus at the very early stage, just a few weeks into it, is human. First off, it has human DNA. It's not a giraffe. It's not an elephant. It's human. It has human DNA. It also has a heartbeat, brain activity, all those things. All, all, the, all the necessities that you would say this is a living organism. If it, the, the absurdity surrounding abortion is that if they found like a little microorganism of whatever on Mars, they'd say there's life on Mars, but the fetus has a heartbeat and brain activity, but it's not alive. Is that? I mean, I don't know what she's saying here. She's just referring to some scientific facts that she's not stating. Right? You're hiding the ball. Let, let's hear it. What scientific facts? Okay, so if we have a living human being, okay, those are two scientific facts about a fetus. If we have that, and our definition of murder is killing innocent human beings that are, I mean, to kill them, they must be alive, then by definition, using science and reason, abortion is murdering an innocent human. I mean, just by definition, there's, there's no way around that. All right, so you're not, you can't make the argument that you're not killing human, innocent human beings. You are. All right, you have to try to justify that somehow using, uh, like, they, well, they may be human beings and we may be killing them, but they're not protected by the law, which is absurd on its own, but we'll, we'll just stay here for now. And then lastly, she, she throws in this Bible verse that, what, what does this verse have to do with it? Do you know the con? I mean, what does this, I mean, even if you are pulling this out of context, whatever, and trying to make a point, it doesn't even make that point. What is, what is if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? What does that even have to do with it? I mean, even if you do rip it right out of context and take it at face value or whatever, it still doesn't mean anything. It means absolutely nothing with regards to abortion. Nothing. It has nothing to say about that uh, subject. But I'll give you one that does, Alyssa, not that you're listening. Psalm 139, verse 13 through 14. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. We know through science that, that the fetus at a very early stage in a mother's womb 
is living and human. And, and we have a definition of, kill, of murder, which is the taking, the killing of innocent human life. All right, abortion is undoubtedly, unmistakably murder. All of that being said, I mean, and, and then you, and you add on to it what God's Word says. God, God loves human uh, beings. He created them in His image. He loves babies. Uh, he, he's there. He, he's working. Um, he says in the inward parts. That is the Hebrew word for inward parts that are, literally means fetus. God is involved. He cares about the human fetus. There, there's no mistake. Why? Because it, it too is made in His image. If you're a human then you are made in God's image, and, and He loves you, and He values you, no matter what. And that includes mothers or, or women who have had abortions. That includes men who have been a part of this or have uh, or anybody involved in this, which is a lot of us. Um, something like, I think, a third of Americans or something like that are, have been affected by this. Look, God loves, uh, again, God loves women who have, who have done this. He loves men who have been a part of it. And he loves these babies, and this this is a, this is a stain on our country. It's something that we definitely need to repeal, and we definitely, as a church and as a society, need to be there for these women because I don't think that we have to choose between the woman and the child. We can choose both. We can be there for the woman, help her financially, whatever she needs, and 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 all of these things. We in this debate, we often set up these false dichotomies, like we have to choose between the woman and the child, like Republicans only care about children after they're born. I mean, they don't care about children after they're born. They only care about them before they're born. This is not true. Or Republicans don't care about women. It's not true. We can care about both, and we should. And, yeah, this, this tweet is just, it's out there, man. Thanks so much for watching. If you enjoyed the episode, be sure to hit the like button, subscribe, leave a review on the podcast. If you want to uh, get access to our bonus segment that we do with our interviewees, got some great interviews coming up uh, with some, some big names in the apologetics world and things like that, head on over to our Patreon link and become a supporter of the show. Thanks so much for watching, guys, and we'll see you next time.